Hi, you're listening to a podcast of the best bits of The Breakfasters for the week ending Friday the 16th of September. We're on Triple R every weekday morning from 6 till 9am, broadcast live from Melbourne, Australia. And this week we still had Mon away, but we had the wonderful Blake Laughlin filling in, so big thanks to Blake. Coming up on this podcast, you'll hear that there's never a good time to get caught in the rain. We have actor and playwright Ra Chapman, who introduced us to her new creation, K-Box. And Michael Harden talks us through his top 10 cookbooks. We go through our romantic hand-holding techniques and find Blake's a little sweetie. Stephen Hall joins us from Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell, which is ending up on the ABC after a stellar run. And in a Radiothon flashback, we're joined by the marvellous Claire Bowditch and Catherine Devaney. Triple R. I went for a walk yesterday and after five minutes of walking, it started to rain. Um, push through because that's what you do when, you're, when you've already started. But I have gone to walk and then it's been raining beforehand and then I won't go. I'll stop if it's raining. I might go later. It's not going to stop me altogether. But I think there's a difference between getting caught in the rain and just not going if it's already raining. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I I lived in Fiji for a few months, many years ago, and I went over there in cyclone season. There's actually only two seasons. There's wet season and dry season, and they both go for six months of the year, obviously. Um, and I went in the wet season, and I remember arriving there. So I was with some other Australians. We were doing different jobs, uh, volunteering whilst we were over there. Uh, and we were dropped off in Suva, which is the capital, and it rains so much more in Suva. When people holiday, they always go to Nandi, uh, which is on the other side of um, Fiji. And it's so much drier there, unbelievable. Uh, but we went to Suva and it was pelting down with rain and lots of pe- people were shopping at the market and you could just see them, not a little bit of rain, and they had all their shopping bags and just absolutely drenched. And I just remember seeing, going, oh my God, I couldn't think of anything worse. Mm-hmm. Like I would just give up and go. But after living there for a month, every single day I was there, you would get a tropical downpour. Mm. So did you and and when it wasn't, it was thirty degrees, <laughs> hot, sticky. So you would just everywhere you went. I remember seeing it the first time. I was just like, oh, horrible. After months, like, oh, relief. Right. <laughs> so is it, is an umbrella like putting a bandaid on the Titanic? Like, why bother? Well, I think it, you just leave your umbrellas everywhere. I, I think I bought. People do bring umbrellas. Mm but it's coming from every angle. It really doesn't stop. So it, I, I don't think you see too many locals with umbrellas, but you did see tourists kind of trying to use an umbrella. Yeah. But, yeah, it just didn't uh, It didn't work as well. I know when I'm playing, and then this might be more relatable, I guess, when I'm playing footy, if it's raining before the game, oh, horrible. Like to have to warm up and try to get warm, especially when it's winter. Mm. And it's raining and you have to go out there cold and, and try to, yeah. But if you're playing a game of footy and then halfway through the game it starts raining, then it's it's not bad. What gets me is when it's raining before the game and you go out there to do your warm-ups or whatever and then you get wet boots. You're like, the game hasn't even started. My boots are soaked. My <laughs> socks are soaked. Why am I here? Right. So you want you want to start the game with a pristine oh, yeah. outlook. You, you yeah. do, yeah. definitely. Once you like, if the, if it's quarter one and the the ball's just being thrown up, and you're like, what am I doing here? I've got wet, soggy feet. Just, <laughs> yeah, yuck. is that what you're thinking, Blake? Yeah. That's, I wouldn't have picked that. Why wouldn't you have spares? Does that happen? Spare Did, boots? So that so that either spare boots or spare uh, socks as well, so that first bounce, I'm feeling fresh. That's a very good point. That's interesting. I can't. I don't know anyone that's ever changed their boots or socks after a warm up. But I mean, yeah, if you want to have a fresh start for the first bounce, brilliant idea. I would. Makes sense. I mean, I 
if I am in a situation where I have to wear yesterday's socks the first thing in the morning, the, yeah. it feels just spiritually the whole day's a write-off. Yep. Oh, I couldn't yep. do it. Is that why you wear thongs sometimes? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, totally. Uh, but, yeah, and the same with – yeah, when the rain – Especially when you come in from the rain, and when you wear glasses, you look like uh. a you, you look like a goose. You know, <laughs> you're you're peering through these beads. It looks arguably like sweat. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, you you you're sopping. I mean, there's soaked, and then there's sopping. Mm. It yeah. sounds like in Fiji, you became sopping completely. Mm. Yeah, it was it was another level. Like yesterday was nothing. That was just a little bit of drizzle. Um, but, yeah, like I said, you push through. But when it's tropical, it's just – it's insane, yeah. the intensity. But sometimes, like, if I'm caught, say, on the wrong side of a lake and there's no way back, I mean, what's the point of running? Like, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, you just mosey in that wet. Absolutely, <laughs> mm. yeah. What Probably. I don't get is when people are caught in the rain, and it's not even that bad of rain. It might just be spitting or drizzling or whatever, and it's just like – They'll protect their head like it's just <laughs> yeah, shards yeah. of glass falling from the sky. Like it mustn't touch them, and they just start running and panicking. Let's just settle. It's just a little bit of rain. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm usually in charge. If there's no umbrella, I often have to volunteer my newspapers. Oh yes, you yeah. would have newspapers. Yeah, and people Handy. don't respect the altruism <laughs> that's in place. <laughs> giving someone a four-day-old newspaper. I was going to read that. <laughs> Garfield's love, still good. I hasn't got to that far through yet. <laughs> I went to the theatre the other day um, and stupidly, when I was parking, I, I took my dad, uh, I parked and I thought I was parking right next to the theatre but I was a block off, which was fine until after the show it was pouring down rain. I was yeah. just like, oh, man. I just said to dad, I was like, do you, I mean, do you want me to get the car? But I think with the traffic it was just going to be a lot worse. He's just like, no, nah, no, nah, we'll be fine. Didn't even cover his head. Like you talk about, I think that's just like natural that you cover your forehead or it's just so it's not blocking your eyes or covering your glasses yeah. or whatever. He just kept walking. Like, do you want. Is this your dad you're talking about? Yeah. Well, look, I, he has short hair. Is that right? He does. I just don't think people with short hair, particularly men, care, care. as much. Okay. There's not, there's no frizzy considerations. Mm, there's true. no ruining the do situation. I just think it's. Much of a muchness at some point. And like Blake said, I mean, to be fair, my hand was doing nothing. It was just impending my walking speed. Yeah. Because my hum was up. It's more when people panic. I don't get that. Like, just it's, it's a tiny bit of rain. <laughs> it's when it's when they get this real frazzled look in their eyes, like, oh, I've got to get sheltered. No, it's just, don't worry about it. But there are, there are, absolutely, I'm with you 100%. However, occasionally in this life, there are kind of flash flood sort of events, Elizabeth Street can really kick off. Yeah. Yep. And that's when it's like, okay, we're on. Mm. <laughs> and people are like running into stores. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. That's why if I was a store owner and someone ran in, I mean, in New York, since we're doing all our travel, <laughs> weather stuff, <laughs> um, it would get so cold sometimes, I think, that you couldn't be on the street really for longer than 30 seconds if wow. you... Especially if you're Australian, you're not equipped. You don't have mm. the maybe the the code that you need, and so you'd wander into a store. But if you're like on Madison Avenue, you know those stores where it's like there's a security guard out in the yeah. front or whatever. Yeah, it's like get the hell out. <laughs> Either buy the Gucci or piss off. <laughs> this is not a refuge. A wonderful slogan: buy the Gucci. <laughs> yeah, or piss yeah, off. Exactly. <laughs> into the wet, folks. Melbourne's own.
Triple R. Raj Chapman is a Korean-born Australian film, television and theatre actor and playwright who is Malthouse Theatre's 2018-19 writer-in-residence, their current artist-in-residence and won the 2020 Patrick White Playwrights Award for a play K-Box, which is on now at Malthouse until September 18. And to tell us about it, the writer, actor and former Wentworth gang member joins us in studio. Ra, welcome to Breakfasters. <laughs> Hello, thank you for having me. It's our absolute pleasure. Now, th- this is what, six years in the making? Yes, yes, it's been a long ride, indeed. Um, yeah, it's finally out in the world, um, and I am um, equal parts shattered, um, excited, and um, still, still extremely um, apprehensive. Actually, to be honest, how come? <laughs> Is it because it's so personal? Or? Yeah. Well, it's that whole thing when you write something that's personal but it's fictional and people get confused of what's what's your story and what's not. And, and also I think it's cause it's a story that hasn't been told much and also through um, an adult adoptee lens. So I think people are just very curious, very curious. Yeah. So what are we talking about when we talk K-Box? What are we talking about? We're talking about this young woman whose life is falling apart in Melbourne. She goes home to um, a country town where she grew up um, in her baby boomers, um, back to a baby boomers parents' house. And um, yeah, she um, gets obsessed with this cardboard box that she used to have as a kid and it's empty and she's like really freaking out and her parents, at at her parents, because she's like, where's all this stuff that was in my box? And so look, it's pretty surreal. Like she gets really attached to it. She climbs in it. She gets a bit funky. Um, there's she gets a bit sexy in it. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of a strange play, to be honest. I think some people like go in going, "Oh, this is uh, you know a, ki- a kitchen sink drama or comedy." Actually, to to be correct, um, is it's definitely a comedy. There's a lot of um, shenanigans. There's it's really fast paced at the start, and then it's kind of towards the end where it starts to kind of fracture, and people are like oh, my God, what is happening now in mm. this place? So, yeah. yeah. And we break out into a bit of K-pop, is that right? Of, oh, of course we do. <laughs> sorry, well, sorry, I missed that bit. <laughs> so when I say it's a very strange, surreal play, it's kind of – we do break out into K-pop. Um, we break out – in there's a, this mysterious K-pop star that just appears in this country town and some people are like – what what what's this K-pop star doing here? But I, the reason the reason he's there is the whole play is about how like as an adopted person, it's like you know you go through your life, everything's cool, everything's normal, and then all of a sudden these things you you learn these things, and it's so strange, and it seems really just out of left field, and it's a bit of a rug pull. So there's all these things that happen in the play that you're like what mm. what is happening now but it's trying to mirror the experience as adoptee where you think oh this can't happen and then just these strange things start happening yeah and what's your objective as a playwright do you want the characters were they to be alive and talking to you to feel like they've had a good airing so what do you mean by that say the father the mother all the characters mm-hmm. on stage that they've they would they're comfortable in Yes, that, that they've had their point of view and their lived Ooh. experience reflected. Yeah, I think so. Look, I think um, the thing that I try to do with this play and that people say to me, well, look, let's just say a lot of baby boomers come up to me after they're like, oh, my gosh, I really love that. So 
I think the answer is yes, that oh, everyone yes. Gets, a, gets a fair trot. But it's actually about the fact that there's no villains in the play or if there are, they're all villains. Like the protagonist, the Korean adoptee character, is no saint by any means. She's a mess and she's problematic. And so what I say is everyone in the play is extremely problematic. Yeah. <laughs> but everyone is redeemable and beautiful mm. and just like messy and human. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Have you watched the play yourself? And do you watch the play or do you watch the audience? Oh, my gosh, both. (laughs) I've watched it too many times. Um, And we do tech rehearsal and dress rehearsal. So then, you know, I've I've seen the play in segments and then now watching the previews and now we're in the run. I've watched it many, many times. And it's – I can't say it gets any easier. Like I go, oh, yeah, this is going to be fine. The next time I watch it, I'll start crying. (laughs) Or like the next time I watch it, I'll just be really like really stiff and like feel like (laughs) – yeah, look, yeah, it's, it's a journey. It's <laughs> tense. It's very tense. What about uh, your, you've written that you, when you start something and when you end it, sometimes you're a different person. How have you managed to distill all the evolving thoughts that you have on this issue and these characters into this play? Was that was that difficult to, to bring it all together, given that you say that it's, you know, people people change? The short answer is extremely difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and I did. I, you know, it's that whole thing, isn't it, that you have to try to be specific. Yeah. Because as soon as you try to be so broad, it, you know, you kind of lose your way and you have to, like, I'm very aware of um, there's not many um, transracial or intercountry adoptee stories on our main stages, on our TV screens, etc. So it does feel like this is holding a lot of space for people. But, you know, it is one very tiny slither of an adoptee experience. So, look, I, I try to do my best to, um, you know, capture the complexities, but it's one little play. And, and so what I'm saying is that if people don't like it, <laughs> that's fine. They could, no, they, there's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm like, so if you don't like it, don't talk to me about it. I don't want to know. Um, no. I'm saying that there's, there's, it's, it's a lot to hold for one play to mm. kind of describe the experience. But I think what it has done is like, I'm trying to capture a feeling more than facts, more than, you know, all the, all the like practical things or the political things really, it does say something about adoption, but really it's saying something about families and how when families can't communicate or um, there's a breakdown of um, narratives, you know, like my childhood was this, you're, and then you're telling your mum or dad, actually, what that's not how I felt. Mm. Like growing up, I actually felt very confused. And so when you start saying things like this to your parents, obviously it really hurts their feelings yeah. and, you know, so, um, yeah, look, it's, it's, look, my parents came to see it the other night and they're, they're here in Melbourne and they're just leaving today back for Adelaide. And so, you know, it's brought up a lot of interesting conversations between us and, you know, we had a nice dinner last night and <laughs> yesterday. So, and we, and they were, you know, it's funny, even they're like, so what bits me? And I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's like, even, you know, like, they're like the sewing bits. And my mum's like, the sewing bits, definitely me. I'm like, yes, the sewing bits, you, all the stuff where the mum does some things that are problematic. Definitely not you, mum. <laughs> Just the nice stuff. <laughs> Oh, that, I mean, was it nerve-wracking, the dinner? Did you book it in advance? Did you, 
how, how significant did you feel them saying the play was going to be? Oh, look, I had no idea. Look, they took it like champs, to be honest. I was like, oh, my gosh, I wonder if they're going to be really upset or if they, like, take the things, you know, because also I'm an adoptee but I'm a writer. You know, I write what's funny and what's interesting and I pluck things and I go, oh, and if this happens now, wow, people are just, you know, know, I'm trying to work out what's going to titillate audiences and be the most exciting dramatic arc. So, look, I did organise a big dinner before the show the other night and then I had the debrief kind of afternoon dinner last night, yeah. yesterday afternoon. So this is why I'm so frazzled. Like, I this bet. is what I've been through. <laughs> you know. Can I, while all the performances are obviously outstanding, why aren't you yourself in it? Why aren't I in it? Oh, there, there's, a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of answers to, to that question. But, you know, it is it is um, quite close to me. And when I was writing, also, it was, a, it was my first play at the time. Like, since, because it was six years ago that I started it, I've written so many other things now. But at the time, it was my first thing I ever wrote. I had no idea what I was doing at the time. And, you know, I was just reading all the books. And I was, like, listening to all the podcasts going, oh, how do I write this play in Malthouse? And Mark Pritchard at Malthouse um, is the dramaturg, um, director of new work. Um, and he's just about to leave. But... At the time, so it was a baptism of fire, and I think you know there was a lot of discussion, but it was also it was very personal, even though it's fictional, it's a very personal story in a lot of ways, and it was my first time writing a play, and also I was kind of shifting out of being an actor, out of Wentworth and stuff like that. And at the time, also I was pretty like burnt by acting, to be honest. I was pretty like that's why I wrote the play as well, not just to do with adoption. There's a lot of rage in that play because I was like so over being a performing monkey yeah. um, on other people's, <laughs> with other people's scripts. So I think there's a lot of that in the play too. I was like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of everything. I'm going to write this play. Um, so, and also, you know, to have, to give a, um, opportunities also to other Asian Australian performers because also I wrote the play because there's not a lot of lead characters that are Asian Australian still yeah and it's like 2022 and I wrote the play started writing the play six years ago so look we're we're moving we're we're moving forward but that was six years ago and there's little bits of change but it's still pretty slow to be honest like there's not that many you know massive tv shows or massive stage shows where the protagonist just is an Asian Australian woman yeah you know, so that's also why I wrote it. And also Susanna Chen, who plays the lead, is amazing in it. And she's just, yeah, it's, it's a joy to watch her, actually. I bet. Given that, I mean, the the run ends Sunday? Sunday, yes. Mm. And obviously we want everyone to see it, but would, do you reckon we'll get a – do you have designs on staging it again? Have you been talking to my parents? Oh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> yes. Like, so is it going to come to Adelaide? Is it going to be up again? We want all our friends to see it. We want everyone to see it. Yeah. And I'm like, doesn't work Because like there's that. also the set's so fabulous. I don't oh, want to see it disassembled. Oh, have you, did you see it? Yeah, I loved oh, it. Oh, good, good. Mm. Oh, you should just be talking about it. Why am I talking about it? Um, I know, and it's a big, chunky set as well. So it's, it's not like a, you know... Um, a little, a little kind of, um, what am I saying? It's, it's not a set that you can just kind of tour easily. Yeah, if yeah. anyone's seen it, it's like a massive set. It's like they've built half a house. Um, so, yeah, look, it's going to be tricky. But, look, I hope it gets another life. We'll see. Anyone listening? 
you, if you've got a theatre and a, a bit of cash. <laughs> I did never anticipate I would see cardboard box become so convincingly eroticised. There you go. That's just one of the many treats that can be found in K-Box, which is on now at Malthouse until September 18. Head to malthousetheatre.com.au for all the tickets and information. And we've been fortunate to be joined by playwright of K-Box, Ra Chapman. Thanks very much, Ra. Thanks for having me. Triple R. I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Something with a crunch and very sweet. Restaurant reviewer Michael Harden is here for a home-based food interlude. Morning, Michael. Good morning. How are you? Uh, we're well. You've been reading. I have. I have. I've sort of uh, been looking at... Uh, they've been just released um, a sort of a mighty tome in terms of Australian cookbooks. Mm. Um, Karen Martini's new book is called Cook, and it's like a giant encyclopedia. It's like over 900 pages with, like, you know, it's information and recipes and everything like that. And I was kind of looking at it, for, and you kind of get it and flip through it, and it's got fantastic recipes in it, blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, okay, it feels like an instant classic, you know, because she's already fairly well established and her cookbooks are really good her recipes are that sort of stuff and I was thinking you know kind of so what in the Australian firmament are sort of make make great cookbooks and it's sort of like and I think you know to start with you want to kind of see how um how books work you know the good cookbooks work in the first place so it's sort of like you know accuracy number one what does that mean well if you do, if you get a cookbook and you have one recipe and it doesn't work, oh right, the rest of the the, the whole cookbook mm. is like you know you just go you don't trust it anymore, yeah. and it's sort of like you may as well put it in the bin, yeah, because it's uh, you know it's like it's not going to do it for you. Can I ask, did Jamie Oliver escape that one? Because everyone would make fun of the idea that fifteen minutes is ambitious or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think you know Jamie Oliver. He's probably got a team of four thousand people testing recipes to make sure that it. You know, yeah, it, but it I'm talking about it. the fifteen minute time, like the line, the title. Yes, yeah, mm. yeah, it is a lie. Yeah, okay. you know, because it's like you know, like you know, probably there is some technique within that that fifteen minutes is probably all all it takes. But yeah, you know, Maybe you kind of have to like it's not about shopping, it's about prepping, it's mm. about you know pan, your pantry ingredients, you know, all of those sort of yeah. things. Like so, I think that that's the other thing about good recipes. It's sort of like an um, you know, the the, the classics are with you know they're giving you ingredients that aren't a pain in the ass to source. You know, it's like that sometimes I think, you know, you look at, like, say, some of Ottolenghi, which, you know, is hugely popular and, you know, great recipes and everything, but you look at the recipe list and it's pages and pages and pages and I just kind of, like, mm. feel like craw- crawling into a corner and, you know, rocking back and forth. I see that. It's, like, way too much, mm-hmm. you know. And if you – but if you, you know, it's it's for – but this is why I think with classic cookbooks it's for everybody. Yeah. You know, that sort of, like, basic cooks can come in and kind of, you know, cook – entry-level recipes and it's not going to challenge you too much it's also you know even if there is a technique in a in a recipe that requires a bit of skill i think the way that it's described um is is super important as well and i've done i've I've worked on quite a lot of cookbooks um as as a, a side gig and um I kind of tend to ask if I can read through the recipes because I'm sort of like the moron cook. It was sort of like, because a lot of these books that are written by chefs, they will skip over a technique without even noticing mm-hmm. because it's so natural. It's like, you know, sort of an inbuilt kind of thing. Gloss over it? Like, well, skip, more skip it, skip it, enti- it like, entirely because they don't it. even think, you know, they'll sort of just talk about it, like, you know, put it, you know, cook this over, you know, cook this first over a particular sort of heat or they don't mention what sort of heat. Okay. And you're sort of thinking, okay, so how hot should the pan be, those sort of things, you know, right. they are. So I think that recipes that, like, take it 
to the very, you know, sort of like the, the obvious things that sort of like if you're a, if you're a professional cook or whatever you think, mm, so obviously you don't need to know that. But if you know that this recipe is holding your hand all the way through and you're going to get a successful result in the end, then that makes a classic yeah. cookbook. So you've compiled for us a list of what you think are the classic cookbooks? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Some of them. It's sort of like, you know, I think that the, these, if you had these 10 cookbooks on your shelf, you'd be pretty happy and you okay. could cook a variety of stuff. So number one, I would I would put Caramartini's on there. It's the newest one in the in the in the shed but uh you know but it's it's great the recipes are great her recipes always work um and they go across a whole range of cuisines and you know from really basic stuff through to better stuff i think you know you need to sit it on you've got to have a very big and very reinforced shelf but sit it next to the cook's companion stephanie alexander's okay because hers is like I think it's about a thousand or eleven hundred pages mm. on hers, so you know it's sort of like in several kilograms. So you you know reinforce the shelf with those two. But Stephanie's is fantastic. Again, great information on ingredients and the, that sort of stuff, and like really basic recipes. So you know you can do you know things like. Um, you know, sort of just beautiful like zucchini fritters or you can do like, you know, she'll tell you how to roast a chicken or how many, you know, how long it takes for various forms of lamb and everything. You can always go to that. It's a really good textbook to have. So even if you're kind of not actually following a recipe, you can sort of get information on how to buy broccoli or what to look for when you're kind of picking up peanuts and those sort of things. Hmm. So um, I think that's a really good one. Um, another one, favourite of mine, and I think that it should be on everybody's shelf, Tony Tan. Um, Melbourne-based um, cook, cookery writer um, has a cooking school up um, in the country at the moment. His is Hong Kong Food City. So anybody that's interested in cooking um, Chinese food, but in particular Hong Kong Chinese food, this is a really great recipe book. Um, fail-safe recipes, very amusing writing, um, sort of um, really good lists of ingredients that can be used so you can sort of get a pantry going. And then once you've got that, that up, then you'll be able to um, cook most of the stuff from this book. And it's sort of like it's a really good um, mix of sort of vegetarian and meat dishes and all of that. And so there's some complicated recipes in there, but there's also like fail-safe recipes for things. Like he does a really beautiful fish and ginger congee, mm -hmm. um, for example, which is an absolutely brilliant recipe. And, you know, even simple things like a smashed cucumber salad and things like that. So, Hong Kong Food City. For Hong Kong Food City. Um, the other one, if we're sticking with uh, Chinese, Kylie Kwong's Simple Chinese Cooking. Um, which is truth in naming in the title because it is uh, everything in it is super simple. It's home cooking. It's based a lot on recipes that her mum used to do at home. And another one where you get your pantry up um, with that, with just several, like it's not even that big, sort of 10 sort of basic ingredients, um, you know, that you have in your pantry and you can do most of the recipes in this book and you can do like, you know, she does beautiful things, like takes a sort of like some classic dish like a mapo tofu and makes it into sort of an everyday dish and she does things like with her mapo, um, she will, um, you finish it off with like, you know, shred up um, iceberg lettuce and fresh tomato and spring onions on the top. So it becomes this French, fresh, crunchy sort of, version of Marpo. So that's a great one. I, I um, That got me through lockdown. Yeah, that right. Book, you know, so, so, and Kylie Kong's done a few bits. She's done, she's done all her book. Anything of hers is good, but this one, Simple Chinese Cooking, is a, it's it's fairly old now. I think it's probably 90s. And um, it was, but it is like for a beginner that's wanting to know how to do Chinese cooking or get those flavours into your life, mm. it's a really good one because all it's right. like, it's very easy to follow. 
Um, the other one that I think everybody should have on their shelf, just if not for sort of nostalgia, sort of, you know, Anglo-Aussie nostalgia, the Australian Women's Weekly Children's Birthday, cook, <laughs> birthday Cake Cookbook. Oh, yeah. It is unbelievable. Just, I just, it just gives me a thrill just to look at the pictures, you know. <laughs> and, you know, who hasn't wanted that swimming pool cake? You know, it's like, you know, and you could go, there's a cricket pitch cake. There's a koala cake. There's a rubber, a rubber duck cake, which its beak is two crinkle-cut chips. It's like, it's Beautiful. just, it's just gorgeous. You know, it's kind of like an, and it's like it's a classic and it's like I think everybody in their life should tr- attempt one of those those cook those those recipes at mm. some stage you know and it's sort of like is that out of print or no no it's oh. a, it's actually had a resurgence it's sort of like it's just it's recently it's never been out of print um, it sort of was it fell out of favor a little bit um, but within sort of like the last 10 years or something it's been reprinted and it's sort of back as a kind of you know bit of a masterpiece quite frankly so um the other one in that line we've got margaret fulton's cookbook as well so if you want to know about sort of anglo-celtic australian cooking um you know scones and you know things like that are there but she's also she was i think it's it's worth having just because she was a pioneer in introducing a lot of the sort of like you know white australia to things like bolognese and to nasi goring and things like you know other recipes outside of their thing so it was like and the thing about her recipes is that they are all fail safe they're really good and like if you want a recipe for an anzac cookie Go to Margaret. Mm-hmm. You know she will never let you down. So um, you know we love her. And so far, the only one who's the object of the musical. Yes, exactly, mm. exactly. You know, it's sort of like that. I'm waiting for my turn, <laughs> but uh, you know, hasn't happened yet. So um, yeah, we've got. And then uh, another one, Greg Malouf, um, his book Arabesque, which is um, modern Middle Eastern cooking. Um, he's sort of the he was the one that really kind of brought those sort of Middle Eastern flavours to the attention of um, Australian people. It's a, it's a fantastic book. He's done a lot of books, but Arabesque, I think, is the classic. And um, it will it will get all those those flavours into your life as well. That's great. How how old is that book? Sorry, do you, do you um, Arabesque, I reckon, is sort of around about 1990, I would say. It was sort of like when he first came on the scene, he was cooking at a pub, O'Connell's, in, um, in South Melbourne. And he was doing. He sort of started just. He was always a really good cook, but then he started introducing the the flavors of his um, heritage into the thing, and just took off. People were, all of a sudden it was this amazing thing, and so he brought that. And so he was the one that sort of cemented those flavors into the modern culture. I yeah. would say so. Um, moving right along, we have uh, Charmaine Solomon, the complete Asian cookbook that first came out in 1996. Charmaine was born in Sri Lanka and um, came out here as a young young wife with a couple of young kids and uh, ended up being mentored by Margaret Fulton. And uh, and she has got this this complete Asian cookbook. It's, it's amazing. 800 recipes, 16 different countries, and it's sort of like, and they all, they, you know, they, they all work as well. They're easy to follow. Um, the recipes aren't too complicated. The recipe lists of ingredients are good. You know, you can get everything. And it's sort of like, yeah, she's like a, a little gentle hug of like, come this way. You can sort of like, you know, and you can, it's um, Indian, it's Sri Lankan, it's um, Thai, it's Indonesian, you know, kind of, you get a real sort of um, snapshot of, of Asian cooking. So. I'm so glad that's 
in there. The Charmaine Solomon book is an absolute classic. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, and she's done a lot of these sort of simpler versions of it and everything because it is another big weighty tome. But yeah. I reckon that one, if you're going to invest in Charmaine Solomon, that's the one and it will be, it'll get the grease stains on it, it'll get the folded pages and the crumbs in the in the spines. Well, so. we're in drumroll territory because there's only two to go. Two to go. We have, uh, I think, Neil Perry, I think, needs to go in there. He's sort of generally all his cookbooks are really good. Some, some of them are more complex. He's just got a new one out, which is fantastic called everything i love to cook which goes across all of the cuisines that he likes to cook which is italian and chinese and you know kind of modern australian i guess it is lots of seafood and that but i my favorite of his books is spice temple which is his um chinese cookbook and it's probably after you've sort of had some work with uh, Kylie Kwong and got some basics. You can move yeah. into Spice Temple territory, do some more complicated stuff, which is great. And have a cricket pitch for dessert. <laughs> exactly. Or a swimming pool a swimming as well, pool, or yeah. a koala. <laughs> Um, and then the final one, I just kind of, I was looking around this, there's a lot of newer ones and everything, but I think this one is another one that I've used a lot. And I think it's a really easy, easy using book and like, you know, essential on any shelf to have some Greek food in your life and it's by a woman called Kathy Suplis who um, it's called Sweet Greek and she has a shop at the Paran Market called Sweet Greek which is and she and this is all it's family recipes and um, they're really easy to follow um, the food is delicious like everything there's um, there's a, um, a recipe that I do all the time called excuse me to any Greek heritage people fasolakia I think is the way that it's pronounced which is a basically a vegetarian um, casserole with a bit of chili and paprika and stuff it's potatoes and green beans and a bit of tomato and stuff and it's one of those recipes that you can cook and then it's better the next day and even better the day after mm -hmm. that you know it's kind of so all the flavors get infused and you've got you know that sort of the, the, the texture of the potatoes and the green beans and stuff and that so I pop that one in there as well because I think you know everybody needs some Greek in their life absolutely extraordinary uh, and is there much plagiarism in cookbooks Oh, look, it's the same. I think it's the same as music. You know, it's like everybody riffs on everybody else. You know, it's kind of like there are some original recipes, I guess, but, you know, every everything begets, you know, you can find it all the way back there. There's sort of like, you know, there can be 3,000 recipes for guacamole and like who kind of, you know, who's, who's the original guacamole king, yeah, queen yeah. person. So, um, you know, it's kind of like I think, yeah, I, I think attribution is really good like you know it's a lot of the time like you read a book like Stephanie's and she will kind of talk about a recipe that she's sort of like you know this is I based this on so and so's recipe or whatever and so it's I, I think the same as with music I think attribution is a really good thing but I don't think that it should stop you from trying to cook an experiment because like you know things with, with Stephanie's recipes there's like you know there's probably half a dozen to a dozen recipes that I cook on a regular basis all of them I've changed you know, because it's sort of like she um, comes in with a very basic, like, you know, she'll go, you know, one clove of garlic. And I'm like, no, there'll be six cloves of garlic. And, and Stephanie, it's sort of like, and we'll be putting a lot more salt in it. Because so, <laughs> we would like it to taste like something. Yeah. So. Uh, that last book again? Um, Kathy Suplers, T-S-A-P-L-E-S, Sweet Greek. Beautiful. What an extraordinary list. All classics as described by Michael Harden. Thank you very much. No worries. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. 
on my walk yesterday, I came across a group of 60 to 70 year olds, uh, 60 to 70 year olds uh, walking towards me. There are probably about half a dozen of them. They're having a great old time. They were, you could hear them coming from hundreds of metres away because they were laughing, they were giggling. Uh, and then at the front of the group, there was a, a cute couple. There was a man and a woman and they were holding hands, which I thought was very sweet. Uh, but I'm not sure if you have tried holding your partner's hands when you're walking a long distance. Uh, for me, it's not sustainable. My, uh, so my partner is taller than me, has longer arms and longer legs. So I have two steps in her one step. Mm. So when we have tried to hold hands, which is nice occasionally when you're walking somewhere, um, it doesn't last long just because she's doing either – she's pumping her arms double time because I'm swinging my arms or I have to slow down and do two steps and slowly move my arm once in those two steps to keep up with her. So it just doesn't last. Are you accommodating largely? So you're the one that will change it up? We've both tried and neither works. Yeah, It's not particularly ergonomic, is it? It's not. I I, I don't think it is. Yeah, I mean, with – I find breathing is what sometimes I will in the past have and have never admitted this, but would try and regulate my breathing to match the person I'm with. Yes. Jesse, say. Yes. Uh, and th- now because if if the, if it's in not in simpatico, I feel like maybe that shows that you're not compatible. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I like say with the swinging hand, with the walking, like I'll be the one to make it to accommodate or to switch it up to make it seem natural. Oh, right. Yeah. But of course, then you factor in the clamminess and everything else in yeah. addition to the the rhythm. Yeah. Mm. I think when you speak of clamminess, I was babysitting my uh, my nephew recently and I held his hand to go to the shopping centre. Oh. Well, that was a What's going on? St- what do you mean? Oh, he's like... Two, three. Right. Um, the stickiest, most disgusting hand you ever. It's like, what the hell have you? You just washed your hands as we left the house. I thought like COVID baby grew up in a world of hand sanitation. You'd think so. I honestly don't know unless he was sitting in the back seat spitting on his hands yeah. whilst I was driving to the... Um, Maybe he's got a secret stash of sherbet bombs or something. So he yeah, must vulgar. have something yes, yeah. <laughs> stuck in that baby seat because how on earth did it get so hot did you let go of the hand or well i no we, we crossed the road we came in i did at one point like stop i didn't let him go but i stopped and looked at my hand because i was like what is this yeah but i don't know it was just this two-year-old I know sweat or old what? couples who fall asleep holding hands oh that's, that's cute that's, that's pretty sweet that's life goals isn't it that yeah i mean relationship that's, goals yeah that's adorable mm. like yeah wow. or is it a bit too entombed Oh, that'd be sweet finding them like that. Only one is dead. But anyway, um, what about uh, putting your arm around your partner's waist? I mean, once again, I think that looks like something from uh, like Greece or something, you know, where you'd you'd be arm in arm with your partner. You certainly couldn't walk arm in arm with your partner. And I've seen people try, which is just awkward as well. Like arms around the back of yes. the back? Yeah, about around the back of the back and then one over the shoulder. Yeah. I always have to go the back. Abby will have to go on my shoulder because I look like an idiot yeah. trying to reach for but my mum. Also sounds like if there's pedestrians oncoming, then they've got to work around you and you're like a wall. It's yes. like an intimidating wall. Yeah. And then when you split, like if you're hand-holding and then the foot traffic gets too big and so you split, it's like are we rejoining? Yes. Or do we give this up? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
I feel like Let's gonna... bullet man this romance. <laughs> if you're going to have an arm around the waist, it really needs to be synchronised. Like it's both of you, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. More yeah. like a, a, a wade through the footpath, really. Well, it's like a three-legged race. Yeah, in a... <laughs> yeah. I can't work, think of, apart from Paul Keating, when he was, you know, navigating the Queen, he got in trouble oh, uh, right. with his arm oh, on yep. the small of her back moving it. I, I can't work out how it could actually work in a way... You couldn't get a pedestrian pace going that was fluid and normal with arm in arm. I just don't see that working. No. But you've seen it? Oh, I have. Not for a long time. But just the holding of the hands reminded me of, I I think in high school when, you know, people would date and they'd show people they were dating. So they'd be arm in arm walking. It's like, okay, you're restricting yourself here, guys. Mm. Also, I think stubbiness of fingers (laughs) <laughs> is a factor like the couple's clasping hands where the four digits are merely you know connecting yeah or is it individual fingers, fingers. yeah uh, with my partner i do individual fingers i think but then like with my nephew it was just a palm i didn't yeah. want to get in between those but that's fingers. great that you've got finger matching yeah, I mean, I don't know that we do. I've got short, stumpy fingers. Yeah, well, the, I'm worried then on behalf of Abby that her <laughs> she's being splayed. What do you mean? Well, like the the gap in between her fingers <laughs> is too, and it, it's just becoming like if you were doing a heat map, like <laughs> the gap between her fingers are like burning hot red, <laughs> and Bobby's oblivious. Yeah, that's probably right. Well, we haven't held hands in a while, so that's probably why. Yeah. I mean, I saw Chris Rock recently at the uh, – he's doing stand-up and he was saying how, you know, he there would be a graphic intimate act or whatever with a stranger and that's way less intimate than holding hands. For him. Holding hands is like we may as well be married. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I like holding hands. Yeah, ditto. Mm. Every time I get in the back of an Uber, though, with my partner – it's taken many separate Uber rides to get to this point where I can't just sit in the back seat comfortably and hold my partner's hand. I have to have it in a very specific way. It has to be like palm down, kind of on a 45 near her lap oh. so she can just have her hand just like draped on top of it. It's, it's oh, sweet. That's cute. It is cute. But that's like, nice. I have to actually think about it. No, I can't have it upwards. I can't have it here. I, I've, I've got to sit in a very specific way. <laughs> There yeah. it is. There it is. Okay. And then you put your hand on her lap kind of a thing and she puts her hand on top. Is that what I think it's saying? her right hand on top of my left hand. But, yeah. yeah, my left hand is out on like a 45 or arm <laughs> is on the 45 and hers is just kind of bop straight on top. I mean, I'm torn here because wouldn't there be couples that would be like, well, I'm in the front, you're in the back, you know. Oh, we're both in the back. Both in the back. Oh, so from... that you can be close to each other or? I suppose so. Yeah. yeah. Do you – some ride chairs don't allow you to sit in the front. I've got to sit in the front sometimes. They're like, get in the back. Like, oh, oh, really? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, oh, of course. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I suppose maybe the, with taxis and ride chairs changed. And, you know, the mm. Australian character was all about sitting in the sitting front in the and front. that's what we did. Always. Yeah. But, yeah, okay, so your hand's near the lap and so you've got some kind of an unspoken arrangement where you're not encroaching too much. It's very much spoken. It's just like, no, 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 not there, not there. <laughs> oh, really? I have to do all of this and then she's just straight down. Just a hand is <laughs> so comfortable and so mm. easy. Pop on top. I was going to say, does she think about it as much as you? But you have a conversation about it. No, it's been talked about. Yeah. <laughs> what about a hand on a leg? You know, do you can do you have to mix up this area that you take up because otherwise it becomes too hot? Yeah, too hot. Yes, mm. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think it's nice to have it there until it does get too hot. Mm. You either have to move your hand or just abort. Yeah, 
because I'm affectionate, but I think I get accused of being too hot. Like my I, my body runs too hot. Yeah, right. Mm. Mm. And so yeah, it's I'm cursed. <laughs> Wanting love and affection, but forever alone and Stay isolated. Yeah, <laughs> looking into the next car while Blake is <laughs> lovingly clasping. Too hot to touch. Yeah. <sighs> That's right, triple R. Stephen Hall is a prolific writer, producer, and actor. You've seen in Neighbours, The Hollow Men, Romper Stomper, playing Burt Newton in The King, and who was handpicked by John Cleese in 2016 to play Basil Fawlty in the stage adaptation of Fawlty Towers, which toured Australia to rave reviews. Having written on a host of shows, including Newstopia and serving as head writer on Have You Been Paying Attention, the comic actor in 2014 became a regular cast member on Sean McCall's Mad as Hell, which is wrapping up after 12 years, having claimed Logie for Most Outstanding Comedy Program and to... Tell us about the season's closure and his role in it. The Man of a Million Voices joins us now. Stephen Hall, welcome to Breakfasters. Goodness, thank you. What a lovely introduction. Well, thank you very much. Fully earned. How exciting. What, what, what does it mean to, for, to be part of this show wrapping up? It's, it's unheard of. We've been going for 10 years, and so this is season 15. And uh, it, in terms of a, a yardstick, in my life, our, our daughter is 16, and uh, when it started, she was in prep. So that's a, quite a, a good um, measuring yardstick. So she's known all of her school life, mad as hell's been on, and uh, for, a, for an actor, uh, it's just unheard of to have that level of uh, continuity. It's yeah. fantastic, fantastic. And how do you reconcile the, uh, the silly voices, the costumes, the ludicrousness and uh, also being a, a pillar of democracy i'm sorry i'm a, i'm not oh the show yes not me no I'm not, not you a, personally no but, i'm not a the, pillar of democracy no, but never the, have been the, the the crucial role of satire yes yes in and, and all of and to get earnestness about comedy and all of that but plus the sort of expert silliness that you parlay i think that one of the really clever things about the show and the way sean set it up it does speak truth to power and and it does get quite angry uh, at times and uh, quite furious and and really uh, bold but it's done at arm's length and so our characters aren't the people themselves they are spokespeople for the people and so it's not Matthias Corman, it's his spokesperson and it's not Jackie Lambie, it's her spokesperson and and so on and so on. So I think that gives it licence to go really nuts and it does. Uh, and it, it's the um, it's the spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine yeah, go down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was Scott Morrison a fan? <laughs> we haven't heard back from Scotty from marketing. Um, no, I wouldn't have a clue. Although earlier on he did, he was interviewed and there was, this was before he was Prime Minister and mm. someone interviewed him and said, and he said, oh, as long as I don't get rid of mad as hell, I'll be happy. And so, of course, Sean snaffled that and put it in the opening credits. Um, and so that was a little clip that was in there. But uh, since he became Prime Minister, I'm not so sure he would be such mm. a fan anymore. And what are your, uh, what impressions do you get out in the world? Do you, do you get an approach, do you get feedback? Back, you know, when you're wandering the corridors of power in Canberra. <laughs> I don't spend a lot of time there, to be honest, Daniel. Um, no, out and about, I do get recognised from time to time, and uh, it's it's always, you know, puts a lovely smile on people's faces, and they're happy to see me and stuff. They do tend to be uh, of a more uh, advanced demographic. Yeah. Um, the ABC audience, they're, they're sort of um, not uh, not Gen X or Y, uh, shall we say, politely. Um, but uh, no, it's it's always a, a warm welcome, and people, are, you know. Very, very uh, fond of the show. People who love the show really, really love the show. Yeah. Yeah. What are your? Do you have any abiding highlights or memories? 
Oh, goodness. There's, there's sort of too many to mention. I was just reminiscing this morning or yesterday. One, ca- one, one time I played a character called Banjo Smart, and he, <laughs> I got to fire a real machine gun in the studio. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was a pre-record. There was no audience there, and they were blanks. But it's quite a thing to fire a machine gun at the at the ceiling um oh they're just sort of oh goodness there's there's too many to count i got to go in a helicopter once uh, wearing an enormously long red beard uh <laughs> they're just oh gee uh, they're just lots and lots um a couple of weeks ago i jumped out of a building to my death and then i did it again the next week yeah right so yeah do you think you'll get emo- are you starting to get emotional now or do you think you will um yeah that's a good question we're, we're blocking it out yep. we're blocking it out and uh because there there are a number of lasts and like oh no, that's probably the last time I'm going to do that character isn't it don't, mm. don't think about it don't think about it mm. and so I'm struggling not struggling but I'm making a concerted effort to celebrate it while it's here there's plenty of time for mourning it after it's gone mm. and just celebrate the fact that it existed in the first place what a wonderful thing with your varied career where what is not replicable what are we saying goodbye to here Ooh. Um, just the, 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 the weekly platform and, and such consistently high quality scripts and just every department, the show has evolved and uh, just everyone working on it is at the top of their game from the writing, of course, uh, to the performances, to, to art department, to, to, to makeup, to wardrobe. Art department can do wondrous things with the set and... Um, yeah, the other day we were just in like a, a real science fiction set and they just sort of pulled it up on the, you know, at a moment's notice and it was just fantastic. So um, it's, I'll, I'll, it, it's, it's, it is that chemistry thing too and, and the cast are all friends and uh, it is like a, you know, it's a cliche, but it's like an extended family and yeah, the, we won't, I, I, I'd be very lucky to see this again. Mm. Yeah. Is there anything left on the table or are all comedy ideas, it's hell for leather as we approach the end? Um, oh, I, I think there's still a few surprises to come, and and Sean, Sean, and the and the writers. But uh, it, you know, it has to be said, Sean oversees all the writing and compiles all the scripts together. There's still some very, very weird stuff to come yeah. uh, in this this week's and uh, next week's. And um, there are time and time and time again, and they must have written thousands and thousands of sketches. But you just think, wow, I, I didn't think of that. That's so good. Yeah. yeah. Even now. Yeah. When have you most do you think extended yourself? Um, there's been, oh, it, it hasn't seen the light of day yet, but sometimes Sean will ask me, can you do an impression of so-and-so? And, um, the, the one that I did quite a lot of work on, which, yeah, um, hasn't quite seen the light of day was, uh, uh Kelsey Grammer, Frasier Crane. Oh. Yeah. Because it's, it's, what do you do? What are the, what are the nuances or what are the mannerisms? So, um, spent a bit of time working on that one. And and the the Jack Nicholson one, he asked me if I could do an impression of Jack Nicholson. I said, yes, of course I can. And then uh, frantically hit the YouTube's. Uh, and uh, yeah, that there's a lot of lot of work in that, um, but it sort of seemed to work okay in the end. And of course, great wardrobe and makeup. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're tempted to know what, what, what is it on earth a Fraser Crane impression? Yeah, well, that's right. And um, no, I, I had a phrase which was uh, when Roz asks him how the impre- the Fraser Crane Fraser Crane impression is coming along. So, oh, it's a work in progress, Roz, but there's still some work to be done. And, but I don't know. It helps if he has the wig. Helps yeah. if he has that oh, receding working. bob haircut. It's so good. 
I, I saw on the show last week uh, yes. a brand new recipe for soy milk by adding <laughs> soy sauce to regular cow's milk. Oh, is, yeah. is this something you'll be taking with you to the future? <laughs> no, no, it's not. I tried it once, and once is enough. Um, they, that was, yeah, that was a do-it-yourself soy milk recipe for those who can't stand the lactose intolerance. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yes. No, that was a one-off, thank goodness. What about the fun that you and Sean have? Uh, that m- might be something that we'll miss watching, I imagine you personally as well. It's the end of a pretty important chapter. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fantastic to be able to sort of, if I can crack him up, that's awesome, and um, vice versa. And so it, it is a, a great rapport that we have. And, and I'm always mindful too that when we as performers have fun, without being too loose, without sort of... Daryl Summers earing it up. Um, we when we have when we have fun, the audience has fun, and it, and it translates through. And, and we just genuinely like working with each other and like trying to amuse each other. Uh, and you know what a great starting point we have with these incredible scripts. Mm. How dense? Well, I mean, the show's very dense. It, yes. it appears. How down to the wire does it get for you? Do you are you getting pages? As you're wandering out onto set or it's not not, like that? Not quite, not quite. Um, We get our scripts uh, on – we get scripts on Friday night and then they they finally get locked in on Sunday night. And uh, today, uh, Tuesday, we'll go through and uh, we'll have rehearsal, technical rehearsal all day. Sometimes things change during technical rehearsal and we record tonight and the show goes to air tomorrow night. Mm. Wow. so yeah, there's there's not a lot of time, but there's, from time to time there will be tweaks and changes on the day if something's happened in the news or if or if something can be better expressed. Sean's always tweaking and honing right up to the wire. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's it's like nothing else because you you, you never know what you're going to get each Friday, and it's like Christmas. You know, you're just waiting and staring at your inbox, and and in come come these wonderful things, and and then that, they might change over the weekend and you might have three then two then one then three you know so because it's really um a bit of a movable feast up until record day yeah there's been a lot of song and dance over the years and i'm wondering your <laughs> yes. how, how you uh, go with that is it do you lean in is that is that your wheelhouse do you love it you got to lean into everything, Daniel. Yeah. You got to lean into everything. There's no half measures here. When, when, when um, the first time this character called Darius Horsham appeared, Sean wrote in the script, he sounds a bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> you got to lean in. You got to <laughs> lean in. Um, and so, yeah, the, the singing and the dancing. Each show traditionally has a closing number, and um, uh, Emily and uh, Christy get the lion's share of the singing. And um, even though Tosha and I can sing pretty well, I'm not going to yeah, go on about yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and so what, whatever's required, uh, we, we you got to dive in. Yeah, As you we, s- we won't get this chance again. No, exactly. As you say, ten years. Yes. And it, does it put a lot of pressure on the finale? Or um, I don't know. I feel I don't. I don't know. See, I'm sort of not thinking. It's not my department to you know create it or anything. I'll just dive in when it when it comes. But I think the show has such a devoted fan base that uh, I think they'll be with us all the way and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the finale is going to be. Yeah. You, of course, are a quiz champion as well. Would, are you tempted to, now that you've got some time, maybe, I don't know, 
win another couple of million or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm retired from that game, <laughs> okay, Daniel. Right. Um, not to say I couldn't be coaxed out of it. Yeah, time. yeah. But there's sort of there aren't really um, many things going on in that space at the moment. Um, there's there's Millionaire Hot Seat. There's the Chase, uh, and then there's Hard Quiz and Mastermind. Uh, so it's sort of. A, the, that that whole space has changed over the years. I uh, when I for about um, nine years now, I've been running a blog blog called HowToWinGameShows.com, and um, there's been a fair bit to report on over the years. But yeah, the landscape's changing. I, I'm not sure that we'll see any of those big ones mm. coming back. What if Matt Parkinson got hit by a bus or something? Would you step <laughs> into you? Would you be Goliath? Uh, well, it's funny you should ask. Uh, <laughs> I did audition to be a chaser on the chase. Yeah. And uh, as Darius, that's why he's <laughs> Darius. <laughs> that would be very intimidating. Wow. Uh, no, the um, the producer had a you know they all have to have a persona and a nickname and the one that the producer came up with for me was the Ginger Ninja. <laughs> Uh, I didn't like that, to be honest. Oh, the ginger ninja, what even is that? <laughs> Gee whiz. Anyway, I didn't get it. No, well, you didn't need the to. Blessing in disguise. Exactly. Yes. Okay, so Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell, it finishes on Wednesday, the 21st of September. It first aired on Friday, the 25th of May in 2012, and it all wraps up. And a central cast member since 2014 has been Stephen Hall, who we've been very fortunate to have with us in studio. Thank you, Stephen. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks very much. Triple R. One of the great things about Triple R's Radiothon this year is having guests in studio and getting an excuse to see your favourite people. Claire Bowditch is an award-winning muso, actor, she'd say at a stretch, uh, radio presenter, author, entrepreneur and Triple R darling. And then there's also Catherine G'day. <laughs> No, I mean, no, 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 Fine. I was fine until I saw that beautiful Beatrix cake just sitting there oh, in yeah. Triple R kitchen and put my hand in it and ate it. Yeah, so I was All really good. good. It's such a pleasure to be here with you guys and to have Dev here next to me. I mean, this is just like old, like old not, times. Honestly, it's not I a mean, pleasure. you've aged it's so really well. I mean, I was riding the bike and I'm just go- like, I woke up this morning and I- look, I'm a little bit unclear about what language I can use here, but let's just pretend we know what I'm saying. Mm. I just woke up. You can swear in Dutch. Can- oh, well, yeah. I, can spe- sw- I can swear in fluent Duolingo. Just been bragging um, and about I it. I woke up this morning and the alarm goes off at 6.30 and I just go, this is some bullshit. <laughs> like, and the first thing so I was like, oh, you're going to get on the radio and tell people why to subscribe. I go, you know why you should subscribe so I don't have to get up oh. at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> Right, it's that easy. And do you know why I came? My, my, this is it's me, Claire speaking. Mm. Hello, Marty goes, mate. Oh, it's so you know so exciting. Look, I owe everything to Triple R. You guys gave me my career early on. The first breakfast is you know, um, annual adventure and all the rest of it. But Marty said, you better have some bloody stories ready. You better impress him. I went, nah, Deb's coming. I won't have to talk because <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Because 
uh, you know, t- for the two of us, we live around the corner. Yeah. Um, in di- separate houses. Um, <laughs> but at this stage. At this stage. But you, as you've always said to me, you always know a good person when you see the triple R sticker on the back of their car. Like, my mum, Dutch. True. Yeah, she's got a big picture of Madonna on the front of, front of her car. She did. And we've got the triple R sticker on the back. Not oh, the wow. Madonna that people are thinking. No, different Madonna. Um, the, the holy Madonna yeah. because she's a Dutch Catholic. The other day I was having a coffee with a mate, Missy Higgins. We went to – I just thought I'd name drop. That I really, you know, but she's someone also who's um, such a fan of the station. And we walked back to our cars, and I saw her triple R sticker, and I just did that thing going, "Yep, you're a good person, mm. and you're fun to be yeah. with at a party." Anyway, out. But that is true about the triple R sticker. I've Isn't never, it? I have never heard. You know, there are so many things in our world that are divisive. You, you Michael Lunix, <laughs> you Jermaine Greers. Oh, you've you done know, it now. Oh, you yeah. know. Saying yeah. it's once upon a time those things were like a badge of honour. Like I love Lunig. I've got like his cartoons on my fridge and in my toilet. Um, but I've never heard anyone say I don't like Triple R. Oh no! And no. if they did, you know you, what you'd do with them, wouldn't you? <laughs> what would you do? Well, you'd you'd swift. Well, I'm going to say this politely. You swiftly turn the other way. That's right. <laughs> swiftly turn the other way, just because you're not going to have fun there. But we yeah. are so honestly, we are so grateful to this station. All of all of us, you know, who make music, and all of us who love our community. We just know we've got somewhere to go, and that was never more present than during the pandemic oh. when we were oh. locked out. We were yeah. just. We, we would stand out the front of Triple R if it was in our, our 5K <laughs> range. We'd just stand out the front just to feel the radio wave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, precisely. But not to sound too pretentious. Go on. But jo- <laughs> Go on. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> the heat in it's the room. Like, listen, here's the thing you should know. Okay, Deb. We both live in Coburg mm-hmm. and we are in the top five most popular MILFs in Coburg, right? <laughs> you and now, currently, Claire is sitting at three and I'm sitting at four. <laughs> okay. So, th- this is where you might feel the power struggle going yeah, on. Yeah, um, there's a lot of, che- you know, there's a tension. lot of tension about that because it's it's very hard to. Do we to know find who one and two are? Yeah, we can. We do. Genevieve um, Costigan and Marie Louise Walker. <laughs> and Bridget Costello is in there somewhere. But the thing, ha- there is a story, and Quincy from Bakehouse once told me about how we have Triple R. Like, it's like, why is it only in Melbourne that we have such a, a well-subscribed and well-adored um, public radio station? Like, mm-hmm. if you – look, there's no other reason to subscribe other than – do you want to listen to radio, which is run by c- corporate maggots selling yes, stuff? Yes, pl- no, wrong answer. Oh, selling, no. you know, people to get people to spend money that they don't have on stuff that they don't need what, to impress what? people that they don't like. Nice. Like these these guys don't really sell you anything apart from turn up to do this dude's gig. You know, mm. this this band that has a name that you couldn't say in front of your grandmother. Like that's all you mob are selling. Speaking of band names, mm. last hour um, you had Natalie in here from Beatrix Cakes, whose mm. cake I put my fist into and ate. And you also had Flip Shelton, who I remember from Triple R in the old days, you know, um, when we were in Fitzroy, yep. upstairs there and we'd have those Beautiful. I remember seeing Jeff Buckley play on the rooftop there. You know, like, actually, no, I didn't. That was a lie. That was a false memory. It was just another but it happened. Ri- Richard Moffat show. Yeah, I listened to it so much. But um, you mentioned something as, as Natalie was talking about her, her cookbook. Cake cookbook. And it, I just, this is typical of what happens here a hub of creativity. Mm. Nobody else heard it, but I heard it. Uh, yeah. You said, call your book Electric Bakerloo. <laughs> 
And I just went, I I pulled over in the car. I went, that is the next bad name. Look, this is a man who wants, as if you guys are going to get a word in, sorry, we're so excited to be. It's quite nice. Can can I just have a moment to, like, honour Daniel Bird? He doesn't need it. This is the same man who was at um, a a night, one of those nights where you answer questions with beer. And he called his... He called his, what is your team name? And he said, um, Trivia Newton-John. Oh, oh, always bang, bang, Sorry, bang. you might, I don't care what you do with your life, yeah. you might be the <laughs> Secretary <laughs> General of the United Nations, you, write, you might write the new Harry Potter, you might, I don't know, yeah. rewrite the Bible, but it's never going to get better <laughs> than saying, what is your team name? And you saying, Trivia Newton-John. But... Electric Bakerloo. Yeah, hey, it's not. It's it's up there. Yeah, it's mm. right up there. Mm. Uh, what is the uh, coming out of the pandemic? I know we all know that Triple R was valuable to all of us during lockdowns or whatever. But what about getting the city back on its feet? Because you're both champions of local culture. And what role do you think Triple R plays in the role subscribing and keeping it healthy plays in the life of you and the city? It's central because a whole tier and a number of tiers, a number of uh, so many crew mm. who are, are the people who work so hard behind the scenes to support the Australian music industry, mm. and which is, we all know this is the hub, guys, okay, Victoria, right? Mm. We've lost a lot of people because the reality of needing to make a living meant that they couldn't. We've lost a lot of old guard knowledge. And also those who are emerging have lost a whole couple of years of, of fighting for their craft, you know, working up their chops. So Triple R Central, you were one of the only places where people could access new music during that time or golden oldies, you know. So you play a central role, as you did in my career early on, um, but a few years ago. That's the same role that you're playing now for this this tier, this ecosystem that we live within. We're so proud to be part of it, mm. but, but we can't really do it without you because who the hell else is going to play amazing music that won't necessarily mm. sell ads? You mm. Know? Mm. And coming from a perspective more of, you know, comedy and publishing, you know, comedians being able to get on here and do their thing and interact, but like to come to a wider audience. Mm. So some of them, like comedy now, it's really interesting the way stand-up goes that YouTube and TikTok is, you know, quite a basis, but of where they create their brand and, you know, and earn their, you know, sharpen their teeth and what do you say? Earn their chops? Stripes? Yeah. Yeah, stripe their chops. Stripe their chops, (laughs) yeah. Chop their stripes up. Put your chop away. In (laughs) here, this is a a different... and particular audience. Mm. So, you know, and people if people are coming in to plug I would their say book, discerning. That's uh, very nice. No, but it's true. There's an it independence here. We appreciate an independent thought and independent mind. A, a rogue breakfasters team. We love it. But as mm. far as COVID and getting people back out and about, it's not just playing new music and it's not just, you know, having comedians in to do bits or talking about new books. You guys are telling people what is on. And That's I right. always rely on Triple R to let me know what's on that I might have missed. Me too. Mm. You know, like you follow, you know, you're on your mailing list, you follow your certain groups on on social media so you know what they're up to. But you mob are a bit like a great algorithm saying, oh, and this is something you might have missed or you mightn't have heard of these people mm. and you're a trusted source. Mm. It's beautiful. That's I've got it. Tear in my eye. <laughs> no, it is true. Every word of it. It is beautiful, though. It's just cake that's in your eye. It's cake, sorry. <laughs> How it's does Melbourne have Triple R yeah. and no other place in Australia has it? Is it because we support 
community. I wonder if it's the chicken or the egg. Like, is it that the mm. Melbourne and Victoria came for you know came first, or was it Triple R, and then people gravitate? I don't know. I don't know how it, how it happens, but I'm certainly glad it does. A part of it for me personally, I doubt I would have had the impetus to move into the city or were, were it not for Triple R, like to be closer to see yeah. Claire Boat shows. Or, We're quite close now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or to see comedy gigs having listened to the cheese shop or mm. whatever. Like I feel it was the like, same. Like the reason I moved from Sandringham to this hood was really because of Triple R and, and understanding that, oh, right, I've got a sense that there is something mm. quite exciting happening in this little place in the world. Yeah. And, and there always is. That's right. Uh, and it is, I think, it's f- populated by nerds who just follow their passions as well. We're not doing what we think is cool or whatever. What we know is cool. Yeah. yeah. Right. It does feel like a family, though, because people who are on Triple R and people who come on Triple R are coming from a place of not celebrity or commodity, but of community. Mm. You wouldn't get up at 6.30. There's absolutely no reason I would get <laughs> up at 6.30. What is this business, Matt? You're an early bird. Do you know what? I hope they pay you to do this. I hope they pay you all a lot. And just simply for, just talk about whatever you want, play whatever music you want. Just the money is so you don't say, I'm so tired. I had to get up so early. <laughs> I don't think you get paid nearly enough to be no, able to do that's that. That's actually why we're you subscribing. It's for a pay <laughs> Yes. <rise. laughs> that's right. Uh, where are your stickers? Uh, mine's on the back of the car, yeah. and the other one is because we're a fam. We're uh, so Marty Brown from Art of Fighting. They've got their subscription too. So mm. I think his is on the back of his guitar case. Can you oh, got a classic. couple? And yeah. Catherine, I noticed you had a stolen bike that was almost. Retrieved. I was about to tell you. So we've got a triple R sticker on um, the Subaru. Um, and the bongo van, mm-hmm. which is Anthony's handyman van, but on my bike. But we did have a bike stolen at our place recently that had a triple R sticker. Would you like that story? Yeah. Yes. So um, we ride bikes at our place and electric bikes um, a lot. My son, Hugo, and we have two spares that the boys or anybody who pops over hops on. So our Hugo works at La Luna Bistro as a dishwasher. And one morning when I woke up and I was going to be running my gutters riding, running my gutters riding masterclass on that same day, on, on that day at La Luna. So he was there 12 hours before me. And I woke up in the morning to a message saying, Mum, I'm really sorry the electric bike has been stolen. I don't know what to say. Um, I took the battery in with me, which I would never do, but Hugo is just a bit belt and braces. And somebody stole it. And I said... Oh, my darling, that's so awful. It's just like stealing someone's dog. And don't you worry about it. We'll sort it out. And what a horrible thing to happen. So I um, got onto social media and I said, you know, tri- you know, bike with triple R sticker, you know, beat stolen 12 hours ago, doesn't have a, doesn't have a battery. Um, so I put it all over social media. And then I thought, I'm just going to have a look at Marketplace and see if, ha- like, getting him a new one. Like, how, are, there, are there bikes around? So I get onto Marketplace and lo and behold, there... <gasps> Is the bike the triple R bike? The triple R bike is on R there without <laughs> the battery yep. on Marketplace oh, ten lives. hours after it was stolen. You that is amazing. Me. So I quickly go, is this still available? And then quickly take everything down from social media because if this person checks, they've got me saying, look at this bike with this triple R sticker, and they said, yeah, sure. And I said. Oh, where are you? And he's like, I'm in Carlton. He was literally like 50 metres wow. away from La Luna. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> he will not be running a Gunner's Bike Theft Masterclass. Let's put it that way. So I said, um, is cash okay? Knowing that this guy had, had theft oh, she's it. she's clever. 
Yes, I am. Yeah, you bloody Don't are. Don't sound so surprised. Not at all. I'm impressed. That there was will my impression. <laughs> so I said, because I wanted to lure this person into yeah. my trap, and he said, fine. And I said, right, got the address in Ligon Street. I will be there at... 12 o'clock. So I told my partner, Anthony, what was going on and I said... So if I don't come back in an hour. <laughs> I said, I'm going to set the gunners up with a 15-minute writing challenge. Oh, you were working. Oh How long? Oh, story. Working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 12 o'clock. I said, do you want this story? I know, I know. So, um, I mean. know I'm going to go up there and, or, and so then I decided he should come to gun, he should come down to Gunners. Mm-hmm. I would drive us up. He would go. I would video. Whatever. Yeah. He took it into his own hands because he wanted it to be lo-fi. So I get. He said, he didn't turn up to La Luna <laughs> when I thought he was going to be there. At quarter past uh, twelve, I get a message from this guy saying, "Where's your husband?" I'm like, well, actually, we don't believe it. Oh, we Let's don't need to go down that road. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> he said um, he'll be there soon. He goes, no, he just got here and drove off on my bike. And I'm oh, like, yes. Right. And I the said, word my is up for question. <laughs> yeah. So he turned up with the battery and said, oh, mate, do you mind if I take it for a bit of a ride? He goes, oh, as long as you don't steal it. And so uh, we stole the bike back. <laughs> stole the bike back. And he was going to put the cops on us. That's community spirit. I was like, wait, you stole the bike? And he's going, excuse me. It was quite funny. Subscribe anyway, got to the bike back. get your stolen bike back. Mm. <laughs> Beautifully said. You really, I feel like I've shamed you into doing a speed version of the story. You have offended me and there'll be, there will, there will be a discussion. There will be a discussion. I uh, look forward to that. Um, Claire Bowditch and Catherine Devney, just thank you both for everything and all your oh, support. Oh, gosh. Right back at you. <laughs> all right. We got to go. Love you guys. Love thank you. you. Please thank subscribe you so and thanks for all the support you give everyone. Triple R. Thanks for listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or the Triple R website. <laughs>